I was thinking of how I wanted to start this episode. I decided I wanted to start it with Droopy McCool's Chidinkaloo Flute. Okay, I'm sorry. That's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's the kind of quality. I'm 21 years old. I am 21 years old. <laughs> I bought it when I was 19, so it's okay. Yeah, all 2,000. <laughs> we of all make our mistakes as teenagers. Lane viewers have just left. We chased them all away. <laughs> all right, fellow basement dwellers. Well, that was the infamous Jedi Rocks. Uh, viewed in the special edition of today's film, Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. I am joined, as always, by Zach Yarragus and Mitchell Bardsley. Mm-hmm. Good to see you both. Hi. I'm excited to talk about special and non-special and perhaps more special for being non-special things about this thing and parsing whether it is good or not and whether it's okay to enjoy it. <laughs> Let's uh, open with general thoughts, I suppose. Ratings out of five. What did you all make of it? Well, I can go ahead and jump in here. Um, go ahead. Considering my my voice is a lot better than it was last time. Um, I maybe not your words. Uh, maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> um, so I uh, I feel like I've said this every time we've talked about Star Wars, but I've gone on record as saying that I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan. But nice of stuff. the Star Wars properties, <laughs> I am. Uh, the biggest fan of the original trilogy. And as a kid, I always remember liking... uh, going back and forth between liking this one and uh, Empire the most. Um, Now, at various points, I would say that I liked Empire the most because I I thought that there were more stakes or because the bad guys got to win and that made it a little more interesting. Um, But I also liked this one because of sort of the finality of it and because I liked... Uh, rescuing Han from from Jabba and whatnot, uh, but watching this now, having rewatched the previous two over our previous two seasons, and also with maybe a little bit more of a a seasoned mind as a filmmaker and film viewer, something feels kind of off in this one um, that I do think makes it the weakest of the original trilogy. It just it, whether you like A New Hope. And Empire Strikes Back or not, and I personally am sort of unimpressed with A New Hope, there is sort of a, a, a creativity and a real energy and almost like a, dare I say, magic to those two that's really, really grips you as a viewer, and that really doesn't feel like it. it's in this one. Um, Return of the Jedi, I think, in a lot of ways feels almost like when a big popular movie uh, or a big popular series gets handed to a totally new creative team and they have like really different priorities and ideas but they're trying to make it feel like those previous two so they can keep the fans on board but they also aren't totally interested in just doing all of the same things so you end up with a weird mix of ideas and tones that don't really gel you've got our cute little teddy bears but we're also trying to end the series and bring down the Empire. And a lot of these priorities and ideas just don't really mix all that well, and it feels kind of off. Um, So three out of five from me. There are definitely things that I like in it, uh, but I do think it's it's probably the most muddled and the least effective of the original Star Wars movies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I guess. That's all right. That's fine. (laughs) 
It's okay. Um, so I, I'm the biggest fan of Ewoks on planet Earth. Um, <laughs> Ewoks are the greatest thing to ever happen. They're probably better than the sequels for me. Collectively. Okay. All of the sequels. And everything after, actually. That's it. Four out of five. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, I I think that's... I think that the ma- major criticism of Return of the Jedi is pretty much what, what Zach mentioned, is the fact that the stakes don't feel as high. There's things that just feel overtly and overly silly, and that detracts from any kind of emotion that you might feel from the the main story and kind of kind of like everything leading like building up from the past two movies and i guess i guess i can kind of see that for the most part but i mean i I just feel like it's really that world building that we were kind of talking about in a new hope that that george lucas kind of set a precedent for that just makes a lot of the a lot of the scenes that are, are like so well contained but serve a greater purpose and i feel like that structure is pretty consistent in this. And I feel like a lot of, like, like each individual scene just has its own progression and has its own impact on the story as a whole that you don't really see in a lot of sci-fi movies in general, especially today. You do not see them at all, basically, um, mm-hmm. at this point. But uh, I just, I, like, like Christian mentioned in his letterbox review, like that, the whole Jabba's palace scene, that whole intro thing, it, it doesn't feel like a different movie to me. It still feels like, we're still leading up to that that grand grandiose ending. We're still leading up to, to figuring out how the, the arcs are going to end. And I feel like that motivation is really powerful. And, and I feel like that's really the driving force behind this movie that makes me less inclined to criticize the weird, like, zany, silly stuff. And um, especially with the special edition. But, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, I... I really don't think like like I I think there's like very few select scenes like my dad was mentioning, like when one of the Ewoks dies and the other one it's like Vietnam like <laughs> freaking Forrest Gump and he's like trying to wake him up yeah. and he realizes he's dead. That's so <laughs> and, sad. And that and that happens while the <laughs> these greater stakes are happening and everything. But it's really for me like the hardest thing is knowing what comes after Return of the Jedi from Disney is really like the hardest thing to grapple with. Cause you don't really know what the purpose, like the overall overarching purpose is for all of this silly stuff. Like what is it really <laughs> going to amount to in later films? How's that going to play out in the prequels once those come out kind of thing. And like not very well sometimes <laughs> in my opinion. Um, and, and, and like Zach kind of mentioned in his review, it, it kind of leads to, to a quote unquote downfall in a way. I don't know if I would, you know, say that like, it's really that dramatic, but, um, I, I do think there's a lot of elements that Return of the Jedi presents that are mishandled later, I'll say. Um, mm-hmm. But the overarching narrative is so powerful. The relationship between Luke and Vader and Palpatine is so, like, talked about a lot. Like, it's really been hyped up. It, it, it's, it's been something that everyone, like, it, not, like, historically and just you watching the first two movies have been looking forward to. It's such, like, it's not just the fact that it's iconic, but it's just, like, it really is like a Shakespearean kind of space opera and, and everything is all has to do with the characters. They all have their own score and they all have their own like special locations where they're from and, and all the things like everything is all representative of each other and everything just feels very 
like extremely set up to the point where all the drama feels like it's going to be worth something. And it, it, it maybe a lot of it is stylistic and less like actually like well thought out. You know, it's like Luke is like, I want to turn my dad good, <laughs> you know. And if you can explain that to someone that hasn't seen Star Wars, it sounds absolutely ridiculous and w- completely dumb. Um, but just the presentation is just second to none. Like there's really nothing like it this feels unique to me and there's a lot of things in in return of the jedi that are particularly well presented especially having to do with endor and just every there's always going to be a movie poster of every planet they're on and the sequels don't capture that for me almost at all with a lot of the planets for me compared to a lot of the original planets Mm -hmm. and return of the jedi is, is just another example of that for me um and i do think the forest moon of endor is like one of my favorite planets um planets quote unquote i just said a moon is a planet wow um but anyway uh four out of five for me um yeah that one star is definitely having to do with that silliness and 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 the messiness of of the actual plot um is 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 way more noticeable here than than the last two films but it wraps up so well it's so easy for me to forgive yeah i'm hoping everything congeals in my mind i, I just don't know where to start <laughs> I don't really know how to feel about this movie. I feel like I sort of have two separate spaces in my mind for Star Wars. The one where it's very exclusively me as like a fan of Star Wars and then me as a as a cinephile. I feel like I'm allowed to say that at this point. Mm-hmm. And I I really struggle with a lot of this. I think I think from a critical standpoint this is one of the weaker Star Wars movies, not just in terms of the original trilogy, but overall. And, uh, you know, uh, unlike my co-host here, this is coming from someone that really loves all of the films for what they are. Mm -hmm. And there's just something about Return that feels just not quite there. I really love the Jabba sequence. I think there's there's such an impeccable sense of... of, There's great set building there, especially when they're still in his palace. Um, I talked in my letterbox review about the musical cue that John Williams gives right before the uh, Pit of Carcoon battle sort of erupts, and it's just one of those moments where you totally latch into it. And there are a couple others like that. Uh, John Williams thematically, he's got this nice theme for the Emperor going, and a lot, a plenty of uh, good music for the Ewoks. But there's this big middle section where it's a lot of characters talking after we get this this great intro with Jabba, mm-hmm. Luke goes and talks to Yoda for a while and we hear a lot of stuff we already knew. And then he goes and talks to Obi-Wan about all of that same stuff. And Obi-Wan says it's all about having a certain point of view. And I guess I don't have a huge problem with that, but just from a rewatch standpoint, I think Return of the Jedi has one of the lowest rewatch values of all of the films. If we're viewing it holistically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I totally echo what Mitchell said about the ending with the emperor and Vader and we see we see these scenes in Vader. He says it's too late for me, my son. But at that point, he's already acknowledging that Luke is his son, even though he's saying Anakin is no longer a part of him. And that that is done very poetically, I think. But then they're like Harrison Ford can't even, like he is practically openly laughing laughing mm-hmm. in one <laughs> like the first scene when the Ewoks surround them, and then it's just kind of like, oh, I love the Ewoks too. And it's probably a byproduct of me having seen this first when I was a child, but like I can acknowledge that okay, this is you know kind of a meme. I, I, yeah, 
And then when when the big Endor battle finally happens, like, I mean, they're literally like they're just like poking <laughs> sticks at the stormtroopers, and they're like falling down, yeah. and it's like, geez, like where where did the like grandiose feel of like Bespin go? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just. Oh, so I gave this a four, mostly because I love Star Wars, because John Williams is here, because ILM is here, because that ending is here. But I basically agree with all of Zach's complaints, at least to some mm-hmm. capacity. I really I really do see the seams here, and it's different from the charming roughness, like I said in my review, that, that is evident in four and five. Mm-hmm. And the special edition, oof. Before we get into that, I wanted to get into the differences in directors and writers, in these installments. Um, mm-hmm. We know the, the first film, A New Hope, was written and directed by George Lucas. Mm-hmm. We know Empire was directed by Irvin Kirshner and written... Uh, all of these stories are ostensibly written by George Lucas, but the screenplay for Empire was written by uh, Lee Brackett mm-hmm. and Lawrence Kasdan, and Return of the Jedi is, again, written by Kasdan and Lucas yeah. and directed by Richard Markhand. I think there's a sense here that... Return of the Jedi is mostly George's film. Yeah. I wanted to ask you guys, uh, how did, what did you make of the direction, both in visual choices and just in overarching sense? And I'm so tempted to read this this long sequence I shared with you two over text of, mm-hmm. of Kasdan and Lucas arguing about the idea of killing characters. Mm-hmm. Um, George Lucas says, I don't want to kill Yoda. You don't have to kill people. You're a product of the 1980s. You don't go around killing people. It's not nice. <laughs> And Kasdan insists that he's trying to give the story some edge. And George is like, I hate when characters die. When I was a kid, that just made me sad. And there's, there's a clear give and take here. So I wanted to ask you guys more broadly, what did you make of the writing and the directorial changes in each of these installments? Um, what do you think of Richard Markand's visual choices? And was it an upgrade or a downgrade from Empire and A New Hope? Well, I do think, um, I commented when we talked about Empire that it was probably visually my favorite because Irvin Kirshner, as a director, and it's been said that this is literally what happened, he as a director shot only what he needed so that when it came time to put the film together in the edit, it was his movie. George couldn't go in and mix and push things around like he had done to him on the first movie to make it a better movie, Uh, but in the case of Empire, in order to make it more his movie than Kirshner's movie. Um, And I think... In the case of Return of the Jedi, uh, I, I think perhaps George was kind of burned by that and deliberately went for a director that maybe he could push around a little bit more. Um, I mean, there's stories of a lot of names who were approached to direct this movie. David Lynch was asked to direct. Um, he said no, but then went on to direct <laughs> Dune, which um, isn't a lot better. Um, <laughs> and uh, Is it better, Zach? Is it better at all? It, well, we might talk about that next season. Um, okay. <laughs> and uh, uh, Cronenberg, David Cronenberg, was approached, and he was called on the phone, and the first thing he said was, well, I, I, I usually write my own material, and then they hang off. Um, so <laughs> I, I think there's definitely an idea here that George would have a lot more control, even if it was through somebody else, because he said that he doesn't, think of himself as a great director, I don't think. Um, And I I do think that Richard Marquand is making choices here, and I do think he's being a director. It's not a case where he's asleep and 
basically just a name so George can do whatever he wants to do. I mean, this does look and feel like a different movie to A New Hope. In particular, I think that Richard Marquand has a better idea of how to make use of camera movement than George Lucas does. Um, but I, I, I think that um, maybe the most noticeable impact here is in Lucas and Kazdan fighting over script uh, for the film, which is definitely, I think, where the most give and take and back and forth is, is located in, in the script that just can't decide what it wants to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the control from George Lucas is definitely here, and him being a control freak with how his freaking universe wants to go is pretty obvious here. Um, and I think it ultimately had a positive effect on this film in particular. I think Mark Hand kind of coming out of nowhere and, and being like... Like, like, at this point, when the movie's already come out, there's already tons of fans, and that makes, like, all the difference, right? And Marquand himself is probably, like, a huge fan of everything, and he, he sees all these kids going to the store and all these toys and all these kid-oriented things and seeing what the primary audience of Star Wars is, and, and to him, he probably saw... Like, just all these kids getting excited. And I feel like that just, like, was cemented in his brain that he has to, like, romanticize the ending of the trilogy. He has to keep not everything necessarily safe, but just keep everything upbeat. Keep things, like, you, you know that the evil is there, but you know it's going to be destroyed and you want to see how the good's going to win. Um, and that's just, like, an age-old tactic. And it totally works, in my opinion. Um here and I think I think that that's kind of like his the greatest strength, um, and I guess the greatest weakness would be the fact that there's a lot of like a childlike wonder focus, um, like a tone that you you want to get when it comes to the to, to the dramatic characters and and like all of the the terrible things that have happened up to this point and what's led them to these decisions they have to make at the very end, um, and and kind of the the you know, how the action sequences are are padded. Um, and, and that can start to be troublesome fairly quickly. Um, and I think having the absence of like multiple stormtroopers like coming out of everywhere and shooting and there's a lot of blaster fire back and forth for a long time and these tight corners and everything versus having this gigantic forest with all these tiny willow creatures, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Viet Cong coming out of the trees <laughs> and, and just, um, I think, I think there's the, the uniqueness of it and, and, how the the comedy is somewhat, in my opinion, it's it's, it's pretty well paced considering um, what else is going on, like with the emperor and everything. Um, and and I don't think it's terribly intrusive, but I do think its inclusion and and having that childlike wonder focus can definitely be somewhat of a hindrance. Um, and it's pretty unavoidable, um, especially considering the stakes and 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 the other other like the previous movies and how detrimental things were in Empire Strikes Back. So, yeah, George Lucas is definitely the executive producer that is there on set every day and answers all of the questions that Markand couldn't. Yeah, I keep going back to this book that I read. And there are a lot of sections where they're debating how they want to portray certain things, like what should Darth Vader look like when they take the mask off? And Marcan's like, we should get Laurence Olivier or some, some big recognizable star. And George <laughs> Lucas is like, no, you should just get someone that looks like a guy, like a nice guy. <laughs> and then Marcan is like, 
you're absolutely right, George. How, how dare I be incorrect? Yeah. And there's like 10 exchanges like this where Markan has an idea and George is like, no, let's do this. And Markan's like, you're right, George. I'm sorry I said anything to the contrary. And well, yes, because I, I think this is totally George's film. Because he's ahead, a Jack. small-time director getting his big break. Like, he's not going to say, no, George Lucas, <laughs> god of science fiction, you are wrong. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I don't mean to cast blame on him, but you know, it's uh, that's just who Georgie is at this point, and it's bizarre because he he says in in a lot of interviews that he sought out a different director for five and six, not just because he thinks it's a bad he is a bad director or a lacking director, but because he doesn't want the work to be as overwhelming on him, mm-hmm. and he will say that that not directing them did nothing to, to help his, his health or his, his workload on it. Cause he's still there every day. And I think it's more evidence still in the writing because I can at least tell, like Zach said, Mark hand is making visual choices and I don't think he's less visually interesting than George, but for whatever reason, I think I prefer George's direction more, even though I know George is a relatively like, did we get it? Okay, cool. <laughs> There's just the way Mark hand moves. The camera just felt, a little too different to Empire, yet not dynamic or specific to me. I really can't explain why. I think it's a purely subjective thing. Mm-hmm. But Mar- something about Markan's direction just wasn't totally for me. Mm. Um, writing, it's it's just clear that Lucas is done with Kasdan and, and, the, and then his pushing here. I mean, Kasdan did a marvelous job on Raiders and on Empire, but I really think George is just like, like sucked all of that out of it as much as he can. I think we get... A handful of jokes we could probably chalk up to Kasdan, like Han has some nice one-liners early on. Those those are probably his work, but it's it's George. It's George through and through, for better or for worse. And I like it, but I can acknowledge that it probably could have been better. So we've sufficiently toasted George, or have we? Because there are two editions, well, there are more than two. There's quite a few different special editions, but mm-hmm. the the simplified version of Discourse would be there is the theatrical version of this film, which is only legally available on VHS mm-hmm. from 90-something, and the continually re-updated special edition, which is viewable in glorious 4K, Ultra HD, whatchamacallit, with some regrettable computer-generated decisions, mm-hmm. among others. Um, I understand you two watched uh, two different versions and may have seen the other version at, at differing times in your life. I've seen both. I meant to watch both for this rewatch. I only had time to rewatch the uh, special, but I've seen the theatrical many times, including in recent memory. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll be able to discuss both. But I wanted to ask you your respective opinions about the changes here. Some of the most notable being uh, CGI-heavy Jedi rocks instead of Lopty Neck. Some additional Boba Fett cutaways in Jabba's Palace. Mm-hmm. Uh, changed celebration song at the end instead of Yub Nub. And some cuts to other planets across the galaxy mm-hmm. with people celebrating. And uh, Hayden Christensen uh, giving you some spicy eyeballs. So, what do we make of these? So, I when we talked about these, when we talked about A New Hope, I express my opinion that I think that the special edition changes are pretty bad across the board um, and are really more of a special feature than the movie and the only version of the movie that you should hope to see. Why are you asking for the original in Mm -hmm. its own right? (laughs) Um, 
I think maybe the worst of them, the worst of the special edition changes <laughs> is <laughs> Jedi <laughs> Rocks. <laughs> it's just, it's so... <laughs> I really try to avoid using the word stupid <laughs> as a criticism oh, oh, of something. Here we go. Wrong, but it is, <laughs> it is so genuinely, irritatingly stupid. And it, and it, it, it just indicates to me, it's, it's an indication of a man, I think, totally losing track of, of whatever was originally good about his franchise. Uh, that he created, he created these things that were good about this series, and then thought, no, no, there should be a musical number, and you should see the guy's tonsils. <laughs> like, I, I don't because th that original musical number, it has some weak puppetry in it. I, I will, I will give it that. The the singer creature with the little like, fluted mouth that like her name <laughs> is size noodles size noodles there we go size noodles is a pretty weak mm -hmm. puppet i will give it that but the number itself and the song itself does feel like the kind of thing you thing you would hear in like a a sleazy yep. gangsters hangout like it it it, yep. it fits mm -hmm. the scene it builds the tone it feels appropriate and even kind of like at you know as a viewer you sort of feel like oh this is this is pretty scuzzy i don't know if these characters are going to be all right in this location and Jedi Rocks like totally takes away from the creepiness of the location <laughs> and make every like all the threat that was in that location it sucks right out of it and you immediately aren't taking Jabba seriously anymore the scene directly before you should be taking him most seriously probably <laughs> so I, on that count very bad choice I think the rest of the stuff I think is more or less irrelevant like i i don't really feel that there's a need for additional boba fett cutaways or for the ewoks to blink or, or or really anything else i don't think there's a need to see all these other planets at the end i i really don't think there's a need to change the music at the very end i think yub nub i, I always thought it was a lug nut but i i, oh, I yub nub i think is a much better <laughs> celebratory song than whatever space Kenny G plays in the, in the, in the special edition. Um, it's, I, I don't know. The, these, these changes do baffle me. And I realized during this rewatch, I think one of the reasons they irritate me so much is that they're, a lot of them are George Lucas smoothing over the personal touches and the rough edges on his film. Films, I don't think, are meant to be perfect, and I think there's a real there's a real push nowadays for everything in a movie to be perfect. But a a, it, a film, I don't think, is all that separated from a play or from theater or from any other form of a presentation of a story. Sometimes things in theater and drama are imperfect, but the viewer is willing to suspend their disbelief and push through in order to enjoy the story. And that's where I think a lot of the, the personal touches come from. Maybe Rob G. Puffin stuff didn't quite put the puppet together properly, but that's his puppet. That's Rob's puppet. And yeah, that's Rob. his touch on the movie. And when you go back and paint Jedi rocks over that kind of thing, it just it makes the movie feel so much less personal and like such uh it makes it feel like a much colder product, at least to me. Buy the Max Rebo merch. Do it. Do it. <laughs> yes. Yep. I, I completely agree. I completely agree with that. Um, if, if you're just going to go back and improve 
the effects and let's just say like the special effects are better it's it's probably not worth it unless something was like severely messed up or like even even with like the lightsabers if they just look like white sticks or something that's not gonna it's not gonna like take away from the value of the product that was being made at the time like it's it's really not if it's just a quality of life improvement it's probably not worth going back to just re-release the entire movie in that way um you can have restorations and remasters and things like that but then adding stuff especially adding cgi to a movie that actually does practical effects pretty well in my opinion and the atst is like Mm -hmm. awesome i i love the atst um both of them and then just like the, the the progression of the ewoks figuring out how to destroy them and everything like that all that is really fun and um the rancor obviously um just everything everything from the time period just seems to be doing what was meant to be accomplished better than the cgi um and it's kind of sad to say that but like that's kind of the reason why i think return of jedi does the special edition the worst in my opinion but um yeah i mean pretty much what zach said uh it's not really besides the scene besides that scene in jabba's palace it's not not terrible terrible like it's not hugely offensive or anything um and I don't. I think you can pretty much get through the movie, um, especially if you're like born and raised watching this version or not watching the original. You didn't watch the original theatrical cut um, first. I think makes a big difference on your viewing experience. But um, yeah, I, I would just. It's pretty obvious, I think, to most people that it's it's not really doesn't really need to exist. But it is what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just remembered another unsavory aspect of the special edition right before Vader picks yeah, the up no. Palpatine. He goes, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> we never would have just, known what he was thinking yeah. if he wasn't saying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did they think they were answering for us? That wasn't already anyway. Well, yes, I agree, but I still think it's a lot more pleasurable a viewing experience yeah. to watch this in 4k yeah. than to watch the theatrical <laughs> version on a 4-3 aspect ratio vhs i'm which sorry which is a shame yeah. i think i think it's a shame yes. it's been reduced to that i Give feel like it's a matter VHS of time they just right put now. them out like <laughs> like a couple months after george lucas uh, bites the dust maybe we'll see yeah. i don't know um i I don't have a lot more to add. I will just say, I don't think Lofty Neck is <laughs> particularly great either. <laughs> it's definitely better than Jedi Rocks. Yeah, I mean, but, it's not um, really a song. It's just kind of like a thing that's on in the background. Like, th- that scene really isn't a musical number in the original, and then they made it into one, which has forced us to have this conversation where we pretend that Lofty Neck was It's all meant part of the plan. Like deal, George knew. But <laughs> he knew we'd have this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I like Jedi Rocks like a little bit for the wrong reason because I can go, haha, George. But then the the Yazam, I'm ashamed that I know the name of the alien. Um, like gets up yes. in there and then he opens his mouth and it's not even like well rendered. No. It's just like a pinkish sludge <laughs> that covers the whole frame. It looks and like Shrek. Like, Why? It really does. <laughs> it does. It's it's tragic. It's. I mean, I as far as the other stuff goes, though, I can't really notice the difference between the Ewoks blinking and not 
unless I look closely for it. I suppose I prefer them to blink. I think that's a little less scary than just the uh, ketamine <laughs> stare. But uh, and I, I understand conceptually why George wanted to put Hayden in there. I guess the idea behind that would be that was the last time Anakin was a Jedi. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Mark Hamill's reaction makes no yes. sense when he looks like Who's that. that. It makes no what? sense. Yes, it's it's uh, there's a Lego uh, parody that 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 did that joke to to great effect. Anyway, I'll say what I said the last couple times. Watch the theatrical first, and then you can mm-hmm. watch the 4K special edition every other every time. month. Um, I want to address some other like new aspects. I'm always like a character driven person, mm-hmm. especially in these like chunky space operas where aesthetics and and personal conflict tend to be the driving thing here and there are some new things here jabba is new unless you count special edition of a new hope uh emperor is new um except for uh clive reville slash special edition hologram of ian mcdermott but basically new uh ewoks are new uh uh nyan numb is new uh we already talked about Max Rebo and Droopy McCool and Size Noodles, but uh, I don't know what what characters draw your attention. You're you're certainly invited to talk about Luke and Leia and, and the others as well because there's plenty going on here. But um, Ian McDermott, hard yeah. Three. What did you make of the people here? You want that? Okay. Um, yeah, I, I do think <laughs> Ian McDermott is kind of the standout in this. I he's playing a it's not quite the emperor that's sort of like passed into pop culture as like this mm-hmm. is what the character is i think there is a difference between prequels emperor and not that's not palpatine but like prequels emperor meaning the end of mm-hmm. revenge mm-hmm. of the sith and this emperor this emperor has a, mm-hmm. a bit of an attitude sometimes he's like <laughs> do it sassy in a way that's pretty funny there's there's a line yeah. where he says um he's talking to vader and I thought I told you to remain fresh. There's a scene later where he's in his he's in his he's in his throne room and he's talking about um they're talking about Luke and then he ends the sentence and he goes, and then you will bring him before <laughs> yeah. And it's it's very like pouty <laughs> and like sassy and it's like, oh okay. Um so I I thought that was that was fun to notice. But he is still delivering that sort of like it's sort of like a it's basically like a male witch basically it's a it's, warlock. it's mm. an interesting way to tackle that character and it's it's a <laughs> warlock there we go um and it's um i think it's an interesting extension of what we saw in either version of the empire strikes back where it's more of this shadowy figure that doesn't look the same at all in the original version of a new hope but it carries on that idea uh, Jabba is a great design and a great piece of puppetry as well. Um, even though I don't, I don't hate uh, furry man uh, Jabba from the original like cutscenes from A New Hope, but I, I do I do think this makes for more of an interesting uh, opening to the film. And there's a lot of cool character designs that I think can come out of that. Um, all the different creatures and, and puppets and everything that are in this room, uh, even if a lot of them are very Muppet-like. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I think a lot of the other characters don't really don't really leave much of an impact. I, I think a lot of Star Wars fans love the designs of characters that have kind of become memes within that community. Uh, Nyan Nub uh, be, being an example. Numb, not Nub. My goodness. Um, You're hopeless. Uh, and uh, Admiral <laughs> Akbar, 
Um, of course, how could I forget? Being another oh. example. I mean, I, but I don't really think Akbar is like all that significant or compelling of a character. It's just that he says it's a trap. And so, therefore, Star Wars fans have something to throw up their arms and cheer about whenever they go to a screening together. Um, and the Ewoks, I think, are a, a strong piece of design as well, even though I don't really think they're the best design for what they do within the confines of the story. It, it's pretty obvious, based on the script or based on the writing, that that final battle is meant to recall something like the Battle of Little Bighorn where, you know, this much bigger, more technologically equipped army is being taken down by a force that is using tools and techniques that perhaps they're not expecting. But since they're little teddy bears, those techniques just come across like home alone and make the empire look like nothing <laughs> that even resembles a threat. Um, but yeah, yep. so I think there's a lot of new things introduced here. Most of them, I think, don't really stick out as much more than just additions to the canon, though, aside from maybe the Emperor and Jabba. Yeah. What do you say about the Ewoks act? What's your problem? <laughs> anyway, no. Um, yeah, Admiral Akbar. I mean, he kind of just fill, fills the archetype that you need for that role, like for the space battle to be happening. Um, and, and I think... <laughs> Yeah, I think Jabba is a pretty freaking formidable villain, honestly. For the little screen time he actually has relative to the rest of the movie, I think he's pretty. He's a he leaves his mark pretty well. Like that that's a whole nother like thing that happens in the beginning. Um, and I think it's a really fantastic introduction to the continued vulnerabilities of our protagonist. That's there's my conclusion sentence right there. Mm. <laughs> that's um, your sound bite, yeah, dude. Yeah, I think I think there's there's not too much that's added though. I don't feel it doesn't feel like it's it really does does feel like we're continuing on this world that's being built. It doesn't feel like we're being thrown into a, a large foray of Gungans and you're just waking up from a fever dream <laughs> and freaking Jar Jar's is right in your face <laughs> and, mm. and uh, Phantom Menace and everything. So. You know, I think uh, there, there's that benefit. I think I think there's the, the gradual introduction of these characters as as archetypes, as supporting characters, is really going to be. I think that's that's like one of the best things that Star Wars does. Um, it keeps the ball rolling when it comes to believability, um, and and the over a little overselling on the Ewoks um, from an objective, subjective, objective, subjective stand, standpoint. But um, but yeah, overall, I think they're really. <laughs> good additions i don't feel like there's a big thing that i i've always been concerned about is is downplaying vader's impact as a villain and and being like like making him look more vulnerable without like detracting from how powerful or how emotionally damaged he actually is um and and i feel like there there's a kind of a capability with that when it comes to kylo ren um, and, and kind of like how his legacy is going to be treated is, is kind of put into question. Um, but I think, I think here he doesn't, he, he genuinely feels like a villain that's, that's coming to his senses. That's a, a finally like coming around. And I, I feel like there's just enough, it's like a, a, a fast enough turnaround time where it's, it doesn't feel unnatural, but, and, and but, it, and it really fits like the confines of the story. And and it doesn't feel dragged out. It just it feels very like punchy and impactful when he's when besides the no dialogue which was unnecessary. Um, I think him kind of looking and and just the, the way like that kind of comes into the direction aspect of it there. 
but um, just just seeing Luke suffer and, and it's not oversold or anything. I think that whole scene is really great for Vader's development, um, and Ian McDermott obviously accentuates that tenfold. So, yeah, I hate to keep harping on this no edition, but right when that happened, um, my my dad had had sat down and was watching some of it with me, and my mom was in the adjacent room and was watching the scene because who could not watch the most compelling moment mm-hmm. where, where Vader turns like. Like, y- mm-hmm. you just got the sense that they were just drawn to the screen. And then Vader says, no, no. And like, <laughs> I don't remember him Not saying my movie. <laughs> and I'm like, you're right, he didn't. Yeah. I yep. love Ian McDermott so much. Uh, I was going to say, I'm, I'm a fan of the political <laughs> intrigue in the prequels, unlike many. I was going to say that I mm. prefer that, but I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that because he's so freaking compelling here and you have to like make ways for him to be threatening without detracting from like this old manishness of him and i remember when i was a little kid and and uh all you really care about is like the exciting parts especially this must have been especially after watching the prequels i remember thinking the emperor should have had a lightsaber duel with with them that would have been cooler (laughs) but now i can confidently say that the lightning is a terrific effect uh both like in terms of how they realize it on screen (laughs) and the way he freaking performs it he's just like and he like grits his teeth and he just like nods forward and he and he Mm -hmm. takes appropriate dramatic pauses Mm -hmm. it's just so compelling it's so good Jabba is a fantastic puppet. I, I was looking at it and I was and it holds up in, in 4K more than ever. It's just it's so tactile and alive. Like every little like piece of it and it changes from scene to scene and not not in a lack of continuity way but in a progression sense. There's like added slime and grossness like the cut after he like steals leia and you know and it's it's great i mean it just adds to the repulsiveness of all of it i love his laughing court Mm -hmm. jester salacious b crumb i love all of the uh you might need to censor the second word in this but there's a there's like a reddit text post that mocks star wars fans where they go star wars fans be like omg glup is in this crying emojis and there is no shortage of glup (laughs) in this film max rebo nyan num droopy mccool salacious b crumb size noodles it's just fantastic i could even name like five ewoks offhand if i wanted to chief chirpa if you will anyway Wicket? You yes, of you course. Name Wicket of course, first. we can't forget. Well, well, his Wicket's last name is is Warwick, so you know I, I accept it. Um, of course, of, of anyway. course, you were gonna say this. <laughs> get it together. <laughs> <laughs> All this to say, I really like this more because it's a Star Wars film <laughs> because it's that great of a film. You, you don't understand the cultural nuances. Yeah, his full name, Zach. His full name is Wicket W. Warwick. Why do the alien teddy bears They're not aliens. Are they filling out tax paperwork? He has a middle initial are too, they, Zach. Are they Zach, applying for loans? Zach, on Endor, on Endor we are loan. the aliens. You have to respect their culture. Ugh. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> you take that, you insensitive imperialist Brit. Get out of here. Respect the gold robot man. <laughs> Pay your teeth, or he'll float above you. I do believe. I do believe I am 
at the end of my rope here, but I'd love to hear some final thoughts. I'm sure 20 minutes from now I'm going to be like, oh, I forgot to mention that Max Rebo plays the organ with his feet. But uh, I can only keep this going on for so long. So final thoughts from both of you. Well, I'm sure your kids will have fun with it if you're an adult <laughs> who likes Star Wars. I know that I did. When I, when I was a kid growing up on, on Star Wars, uh, and my parents had the, the VHS of the the last time releases of the original trilogy, I loved those, and I liked this one a lot. I, I didn't ever find the Ewoks all that cute. It was just kind of a matter-of-fact thing of, oh, and Ewoks are in this movie, and they knock over stormtroopers with rocks. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, I found that very cool. Um, although, I, I think I probably liked the first one more. Uh, either way, I'm sure I'm sure your kids will like it. It's probably the most kid-friendly of those first three Star Wars movies. Uh, even if it is narratively and filmically probably the weakest. Um, but I, I, I don't want to sleep on Richard Barkand. I like his camera movement, especially... Mm-hmm. During that duel uh, between Luke and yes. Vader, there's this one camera movement where they're kind of on that like and then it, yeah. under technicians yep, area, yep. and it trucks along with them as they're dueling, and then go up the into the into the open area. That's a really great camera movement. That's like one of the best shots in the original. You probably trilogy, think, I think that movement is cuter than any of the freaking Ewoks act. Yes, I do. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would right on that movement. Well, too bad it's moving <laughs> oh, left. Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> Return of the Jedi. I'm glad he returned. And um, it's a really great <laughs> wrap-up to the trilogy, considering all of the problems we may have been suffering with. Who cares, man? You know, your sister... It's whatever, you know? It's just, it's just how it works out. Um, it's, just how, it's just how it happens sometimes. Love, love is different different way you know this is like you said for kids you have to teach them <laughs> the differences of love and harrison ford figured it out yep. that day this is how we got those uh cloverfield lane viewers to so keep he it rolling it out in the forest that day what love really meant and he knew it wasn't for her brother so that's all that matters Okay, um, yeah, Return of the Jedi is definitely, you know, I'm original trilogy fanatic, and um, there's really not a lot that can disappoint you, um, except the special edition. Everything else is basically lovable to, to some capacity, um, and I don't, I really don't think, I, I mean, I don't know, I just, there really was so much setup, and there is so much kind of thought through when it came to the hero's journey and i think there's enough of a world built at that point that it it would have only been better to add on to it um with george lucas's vision and i really don't think there there would have been any problem with how he finished it if as long as he kept those plot points tied well and i think he did um and i just you know everything that you'd want to expect in in a Star Wars movie after those first two films is there. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, Good thing they stopped right there and we stopped at episode six and everything was wrapped up great. We saw, we saw free. We saw free from the mouse. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I was listening to that David Bowie song, uh, life on Mars. It's on America's tortured brow. Mickey mouse has grown up a cow. And I'm like, wow, that line really aged well. 
Um, I can totally see why Harrison Ford wanted them to kill Han in this because there's just so many moments in this where he's made a complete fool. Like when Leia's like, "Oh, he's he's my brother," and he's just like, "Huh." <laughs> anyway, I I like this film a lot. I adore Star Wars, and I think more of my issues with it are almost in a sort of bizarrely secondhand me trying to defend the other installments of the of Star Wars by highlighting the flaws in this one. And I really do think the writing is so uh, so whatever it wants to be in this one that they got away with a lot more in this than they ever could again in the prequels or the sequels. I, I do strongly think that. I think if... Anyway, uh, the whole Luke and Leia thing, it, it's totally just part of the canon now and we, and we all just accept it without a thought, but it is totally out of nowhere. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I like <laughs> yeah, Star Wars and... I wasn't really gonna, you know, I wasn't really hard set on doing Return, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we did. This was fun. Uh, four out of five, and, uh, you know, it's probably meaner to say four out of five, but you didn't really deserve it, than it is to say three or three and a half, but I really, really liked it. But, you know, that's that's what I'm saying. Right. So, uh, I love you, George. Don't, don't ever stop film. Oh. <sighs> oh, wait, he already did. Mm-hmm. Um... Well, on that note, I guess we review the week yeah. and week in review. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> <Hype>. <laughs> um, well, uh, I, I have a uh, just before we recorded viewing, which seems to be happening pretty frequently nowadays. Uh, I watched uh, Jacques Tati's uh, Jour de Fête. I don't speak French, Ooh. so I probably <laughs> pronounced that incorrectly, uh, but it roughly translates, I'm told, to the big day. Um, I have not watched a ton of Tati, uh, but it's not hard to pick up his stuff because he only made like six movies. And uh, totally off chance, I happened to watch his debut. I shuffled my letterbox watch list and this is the one that it gave to me. Um, And this movie is just about a small town that's preparing for like a a summer festival and uh, the mailman, played by Tati himself, has to deal with all kinds of shenanigans about town. He's sort of a Chaplin-esque character. He gets into slapstick difficulties it's it's a fine enough little film uh it, it's not really the kind of thing that i was expecting tati has this big rep- reputation as a a great comedic filmmaker which i suspect probably comes more from his latter works uh it's strange to say that a director with only six movies can have a latter works um but i have a feeling that stuff like traffic uh probably has more to do with his reputation than this movie because this is fine uh, it has some nice slapstick he gives a nice comedic performance but it's really not, not anything all that substantial the last 20 minutes or so where he's trying to do a really fast delivery of the mail because he's jealous of american postal workers is probably the the funniest bit um there's all kind of gags of him like holding on to the back of a truck on his bicycle so he can go faster and that kind of thing um so lots of <laughs> lots of fun bits during the last half, but mostly it's just kind of a slice-of-life movie about this French countryside with some occasional gags thrown in here and there. Three out of five. I I, I enjoyed it, but I don't know if I'd recommend it, really. I'll go. Prey. I saw Prey. Yes, yeah. um, Mm -hmm. Trachtenberg, you know, he was there directing it and stuff. Um, yeah, it, 
for you know, it really did great callbacks to Predator. Um, I think I think it was a really good film. I think based on what I've been reading from other people, I'm not as huge on it. I wouldn't say it deserved a theatrical release. Hot take, probably not. Um, just just fr- strictly really from from an acting and from an effects standpoint, they just really don't hold their muster. I can I can kind of see why you wouldn't want to release that in theaters. Um, I know it was kind of a contractual obligation um, is kind of what led to this being on streaming for Hulu. But um, otherwise, like besides that, um, the the Mid Thunder is great. I think she's a great protagonist. She's in, instant appeal um, as a badass, and I really. I, I really like the predator design and the, the homages are either very explicit or very subtle to the, the first or second or really other predators, mostly the first and second though. Um, and I really enjoy the setting. I think it's definitely worth seeing if you enjoyed the first predator at all, because it really is trying to ultimately pay homage to the first one. The action is a little bit too much shaky cam probably. Um, but for the most part, it's really engaging mm-hmm super gory doesn't really hold itself back at all um some of the best action we've seen from any any predator ever um extremely well choreographed and uh yeah i mean it's it's a little bit on the shorter side but ultimately i think it's it's worth watching for anyone who's a fan um and uh yeah the story is like the story and dialogue i mean it's definitely serviceable but it's 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 very predictable um ultimately but uh and just everything else makes up for it so much, uh, especially what we've kind of been getting and, and fatiguing literally every Predator fan ever um, up to this point. Uh, I think I think it does <laughs> it does justice. I would not be disappointed if they made a sequel. I think I think it would I I'd be willing to see a sequel, um, especially if Mid Thunder's in it. But um, yeah, I think I think it's really great. Uh, I gave it three and a half out of five. But uh, yeah, the acting it doesn't really hold up for me too much but the the comanche nation stuff i think works really well um it's really well integrated and it totally works in the universe and it does not feel like a cash grab i'm, I'm happy to say <laughs> nice very nice i kind of want to rip tom holland a new one but i think i'll <laughs> save that for our next one because i don't know if i'll have time to watch another new thing i'll, I'll be happy now I'll, I'll preserve the the childlike joy that georgie would want me to feel I rewatched A Hard wow. Day's Night somewhat recently, and let me tell you, I liked it a lot more than I remembered liking it. I think the first time I watched it was when I was sort of first going through my Beatlemania phase, so I, I'm really not sure, but it may have been as early as sophomore year of high school. And at that point, I think I watched it and was like, oh, maybe old movies don't always suck, because this one was fine. But <laughs> on this rewatch, I had gained the intellectual capacity galaxy brain to understand the hilarity of repeatedly referring to paul's dad as or granddad as clean (laughs) as very clean it's so freaking funny and i don't know why but it's so funny and the each of the beatles are are pretty nice uh at like handling their own little screen personas especially ringo I think Ringo is really the star of this one because he kind of runs away and he, he plays the role of the maligned of the four of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was worried sometimes that John was pushing his weirdness a little too far, but he reels it in often enough to still feel like a real person. And 
you know, it's it's all the interview sections when when uh, they're asking Paul all these questions and Paul answers all of them the same way. Uh, no, actually, we're just good friends. <laughs> and uh, hearing some of the songs in a different key. I was trying to figure out why they did that. And it must have been that they filmed them performing it at a certain tempo. And then they had to slow down the music to match the tempo of the footage. That's what makes the most sense to me. I have no idea if that's true. But it's really neat hearing uh, And I Love Her and If I Fell and a few others in a different key. It's a different sonic experience and just listening to the album another time over. So kind of a treat for uh, a big fan, I'd say. And it's just super fun. Like, it, not only is it funny and lively and exciting, it's just very, very fun and very well-directed. And Richard Lester captures a lot of small little moments in these clubs and, and what have you, and it totally captures the, the effervescent joy and chaos of Beatlemania. I'd highly recommend it. I it uh, I had it at a 4, and it upped its way to a 4.5 on this rewatch. I watched the Criterion 4K release, and it looks splendid. Mm-hmm. Only the second movie that my girlfriend and I have both enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> After Finding Nemo. Ah. Which I ah. asked for on box, by the way. It sounds like you should just <laughs> choose all of the movies I like. So. I, I guess so. It's starting to feel like it. Um, yeah. Uh, yep. Well, uh, I'm afraid that last time I told Uh-oh. a bit of a porky pie. Uh, now, I said that the next film I'd be talking okay. about was Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh-huh. Because you Sp- Spider-Man Homecoming is the next movie in the MCU. But because I am still technically suffering from said mysterious disease that I was suffering from last time, <laughs> and because Spider-Man Homecoming isn't on Disney+, Plus, I couldn't go to the library to get it. <laughs> So I had to watch the next movie in the MCU, which was Thor Ragnarok. Um, and this one is, is fine. I, I think I have surprisingly little to say about it, actually. Um, it's certainly better than Love and Thunder. Uh, watching Ragnarok again, I was struck by just how much bigger of a movie it feels like than Love and Thunder, which is weird because I think the scale is actually, in a lot of ways, a lot smaller most of the time than it is in Love and Thunder, um, where the threat is that every god in the universe will be destroyed. Um, And I also think it's a a funnier movie. Um, Jeff Goldblum is hilarious in it, even though he maybe only has, like, three or four scenes where he's the focus. Um, But he's sort of, like, mild-mannered, but very excited about everything. Oh, 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 yes. Uh, Sort of ruling figure (laughs) on this planet is, is, is just hilarious. Uh, and theorizing how he got to be in charge in the first place is also very funny. Um, and I, I think uh, there's a lot of interesting chemistry that comes out of uh, Thor's interactions with Banner mm-hmm. in this film as well, and with his interactions with Hulk. Um, I, I think that perhaps Taika Waititi's sense of humor has been a little bit overhyped within recent years in the film community. I'm, I'm very worried that he's going to get Lin-Manuel miranda uh, meaning that he's going to be so wildly overexposed that everyone's just going to be sick of him and he's going to be banished to doing basically nothing in a very uncool corner of the room for the rest of his career, despite the fact that he might not really deserve that. Um, but I, I think here it more or less works. So three out of five, uh, it's a very middling Marvel movie, which surprises me because I enjoyed it quite a bit uh, when it first came out. But overall... Just sort of eh on the scale so far. And next time I will, I promise, 
be actually talking about Spider-Man Homecoming. Alrighty, let's run do yet another trench run, but it's, it's like a trench run, but it's not a trench run. It, that was a reference okay. to a YouTuber. Wait, where did you get? No, there's this YouTuber that does a very funny bit about Marvel villains. Anyway, um, I was I was trying to make a joke about how we're doing another trench run, but it's different, even though it's another Death Star, but it's different. Anyway, um, this time Lando and Nyan are flying. I don't know. Can we just do this? Um, Zach, will you start us off? Um, sure, sure. Mitchell, are you ready? Yep. Alrighty. Three, two, one, go. A burping frog thing that really seems like it should be from the special editions, but isn't. Three out of five. Max Rebo. Four to five. Jedi Mind Trick. Four to five. Droopy McCool. Three to five. The Sarlacc Pit. Three to five. Sai Snoodles. Three to five. Salacious B. Crumbs Laugh. <laughs> Four to five. <laughs> Jedi Rocks. Three to five. Lopty Neck. Three to five. Ian McDermott as the Emperor. Five out of five. Jabba the Hutt. Four to five. Luke and Leia as siblings. Three to five. Boba Fett failing to live up to his potential. Two out of five. Warwick Davis as Wicket W. Warwick. <laughs> Four to five. Ewoks. Five out of five. Flying Casual. Three to five. The Emperor's Office Chair. <laughs> Four to five. Admiral Akbar. Three to five. Darth Vader's Censored Eyebrows. Three to five. One second, nine numb. Time up. <laughs> Woo. We've got a that few left crazy. over. Excellent. That's crazy. That's crazy. <sighs> Play us away, John Williams. What's next? Uh, okay, well, I guess I can preview our next episode. Um, next time I will be hosting for the last time this season. Uh, and ladies and gents, we're going off on what I think will be a big one. Uh, th- this film certainly had... A big impact on me the first time that I watched it. And I watched it with my father, which may have been a mistake for both of us. Yep, we're watching Bone Tomahawk. Um, So if anybody's watching along with us at home, you know, grab your parents, grab your your date, grab your grandparents, and uh, give Bone Tomahawk a watch before next time. Boys and girls, get ready to be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to kill people. It's not nice. <laughs> well, this has been yet another space opera here. Another George Apology episode. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And I'm not sorry. Bye bye. <laughs>